Welcome to Supply Chain Now, the voice of global supply chain. Supply Chain Now focuses on the best in the business for our worldwide audience, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and today's critical issues, the challenges and opportunities. Stay tuned to hear from those making global business happen right here on Supply Chain Now. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Scott Luton and Greg White with you here on Supply Chain Now. Welcome to today's live stream. Gregory, how are we doing? We're doing quite well. It's a very relaxing weekend. Yes. Um, I think we call it bumming around the house. Something like that. I, I don't know. I was trying to trying to describe what it was I did this weekend, but it uh, was not a lot. <laughs> well, uh, that's good. It's good to recharge the batteries a bit. And uh, weather-wise, today is absolutely wow. gorgeous in the Lynn area, right? Yep. Today I'm working on my tennis swing in the afternoon. So Nice. Nice. Well, we look forward to getting word of your next big championship win. Uh, and one of these days, I'm going to get a chance to hold that gold-plated trophy from your from your last winning season. But uh, hey, I digress. Um, today, folks, it's all about, as y'all know, the Supply Chain Buzz, where we share some of the leading stories across global business. We're going to be discussing a variety of news and developments today. And folks, you're in for a treat. We've got a special educational segment towards the end, end of today's show focused on top things business leaders got to keep in mind when it comes to selecting new technology. And we get to hear from one of the best. Been there, done that thousands of times. Of course, I'm talking about Mr. Greg White. And hey, folks, <laughs> hey, get ready because we want to hear from you as well. Greg, looking forward to that tell in segment here today, right? Yeah, I think that's going to be a new, you know, we're test, sort of testing this out as a new kind of educational segment of the buzz. I mean, once you get a buzz on, it's a good time to learn, don't you think? So <laughs> new and education all in one, folks. Piece of cake. That's right. Um, all right. Uh, we're going to share a couple programming notes here in a second. But, yes, uh, big thanks to Amanda and Catherine behind the scenes helping make it happen. Amanda says, happy Buzz Day. Say hello and let us know where you're watching from. We'd love to connect the dots there. Hey, Shelly Phillips uh, tuned in with us here today. Good morning. I hope you get to stay a little longer next time you're in Denver. Shelly, I will. I look forward to that, too, and hopefully we can we can meet up. And, Greg, we owe Shelly a big thank you. She had some high praise I saw somewhere on LinkedIn that she shared uh, Supply Chain Now is the world's best supply chain podcast. And Shelly, really yeah. appreciate you being a part of that. We owe her like a um, a nice steak dinner or something, I think, right? Well, we sent her a new football coach. So uh, <laughs> what more could they want? Right? <laughs> That's right. That, they may be pulling off quite a coup there in Denver. Right? Yes. So, uh, Sean and Rex Ryan potentially as the D.C. For the Broncos. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Man, uh, well, some would say there's nowhere to go but up based on uh, recent performance. But hey, Shelly, most importantly, thanks for being a part of what we do here. Um, okay, so Greg, I'm going to shoot through a couple of program notes, yeah. uh, and then we got some listener feedback we're going to share. So let's let's share a couple of these things here. I'm going to start with uh, the U.S. Bank Freight Payment Index for quarter four. 2022. Now, Greg, you and I, uh, along with our friend Enrique Alvarez and, of course, uh, Bobby Holland from U.S. Bank, worked all the way through all this data, right? But, folks, it's free to get your own copy. Dog, dog market, spill coffee on it, mark it up, you name it. And you can get that at freight.usbank.com. Greg, if, I, if you had to pick just one 
of your favorite parts of what the freight payment index delivers each quarter? What's one of your favorite elements here? It's the practical insights from the people who use it and the kind of benefits that they use it from. In this particular episode with Enrique, who runs an NVOCC and also does some ground transport, um, seeing how they use it and, and frankly, how they interpret it was so incredibly valuable. We changed the format a little bit too. So if you didn't get to see it, uh, look it up. It's out there. If you follow us, you can find it. (laughs) That is so true. And if you can't let Amanda know, we'll make sure. Uh, but, but most importantly, check out, get your own free copy, sign it up, comes out each quarter, freight.usbank.com. And Greg, that's a good recap there. Um, okay. Moving right along. Let's see here. We had our latest with that said, which is our almost weekly, uh, LinkedIn newsletter. The last one, uh, and I love this come fly with us. It was Frank Sinatra inspired, yes. but <laughs> we've got so much programming this week and next week. So we're really going to be valuable and it's going to be, um, informational, educational, and entertaining. Folks, check it out. Come fly with us is our invite from the whole team here to you. Uh, And y'all can check that out. I think we're dropping a link to that in the chat. You can check that out there and let us know what you think. And then, Greg, finally, you're going to get a kick out of this. So uh, you and I both, the whole team, really, we get a ton of feedback, thankfully, from our listening family uh, across the globe. And I want to share something I got over the weekend. So Tucker Bledsoe, pictured here, I snagged it from his LinkedIn profile, is a student at my alma mater, uh, the University of South Carolina, which has a supply chain management program that ranks high up, I think inside the top five, if I'm not mistaken, uh, on Gartner's list. So he shared the following, get this. Uh, my name is Tucker Bledsoe. I'm a senior at the Darlin Moore School of Business, double majoring, because I guess he likes punishment, pain and punishment, <laughs> operations and supply chain and finance. I've been listening to Supply Chain Now podcast for the last few months. I want to reach out and thank you for providing great material. And he's enjoyed the current events and supply chain across many industries, as well as our talk about food. Greg, you and mm. I are guilty as charged mm. here. Now, he grew up, he's from Johnston, South Carolina. Is that near Aiken? That's in Edgefield County, which is the count, one of the counties adjacent to Aiken County. And uh, many of the restaurants, he said, that we talk about, he's eaten at or he's adding it to his bucket list. So, uh, Tucker, keep up the great work. Uh, you and members of the now generation are what inspires so many of us. And we know that uh, industry is going to be in good hands in the years to come. Greg, your comment here from, from feedback like this. Go. Um, sorry. Uh, <laughs> I'm a huge South Carolina fan. Uh, and honestly, the pro, you know, something that should be on his, um, on his bucket list is unfortunately gone. I think forever from Columbia which is yesterday's the greatest chicken fried steak, or I think they say country fried steak in the South in the world. And That's it's right. a shame that that is gone. Uh, but uh, it is great to see so many of these young people getting engaged. What a great link up though, finance and supply chain, because one has so much impact on the other and, and vice versa. Uh, so the, I think more of that connection in companies is really, really important. Excellent point. Excellent point. So, so uh, Tucker, you are going to be um, quite the capable leader uh, by growing your expertise in those fields. So we look forward to keeping our finger on the pulse and seeing where you go next. And Greg makes a great point. Yesterday's 
closed a few years ago. It was, it was down in Five Points. It yeah. had a famous um, tub on the top, on the, on the uh, kind of the entrance way with the cowboy sitting in it. It was, it was iconic Five Points uh, restaurant for quite some time. It's a good catch, Greg. Man, you're chalk. You're you're on it today, Greg. Dude, if there is a if there is a town. If I remember it, I know it because of food. <laughs> I'm with you. Yeah. All right, really quick. We're going to try to say hello to a few folks here. Uh, Professor Z, great to see you here. Uh, uh, Amika tuned in from Cranfield University. Great to see you here. Um, Greg is back with us. Greg, I hope this finds you well up there in Milwaukee. He says he's got another snowstorm Gosh. moving in later this week. Greg, you seen this? <laughs> It's, it's hard. I saw my, so my brother is in Boston and I saw him post something about something and there was snow all over the place. And it's hard when you live in the South to think that people are still, it's going to be 72 here today, that people are still experiencing the depths of winter is, is unbelievable. Isn't it though? Yeah. It's it's a, it's kind of a transitory transitional time here in the South. I, I recall one time I went to New Jersey forgetting that it was still winter up there with no winter coat and it was 25 degrees below zero and a, and a blizzard. I literally had to buy a coat while I was up there. <laughs> Man. Okay. Well, that, could be, that probably reflects more on me. Than, <laughs> <laughs> planning, right? Planning. Right. Uh, love that. Uh, let's see here. Abdul uh, Ketter. Uh, great to see you. Good night. Uh, happy to join you. Hey, let us know where you're dialed in from uh, there via LinkedIn. Great to see you. Now, Shelly says the first football games she went to were the Broncos back-to-back Super Bowls. She has stories, but not family-friendly. <laughs> okay, Shelly, we'll get those out of you soon. Yeah, that is, that's for Supply Chain Nerds Talk Sport. <laughs> yes, that's right. Shelly, we're coming for you. Uh, Gino's back with us. Gino, hope this finds you well up there in northern Alabama. Mark Preston from Peachtree City. Now, Mark, uh, I think we shared this last week. He did a great show on uh, how to reinvigorate continuous improvement we'll see if we can't drop that link there uh mark i'll tell you he's been doing it for quite some time greg we don't go over though no matter how much experience you got what's our threshold two decades two decades say more than two decades but never say more than that i mean you're welcome to say whatever you want i just kind of like that (laughs) around two decades in splotting that is right mine is around maybe a little more than that, but <laughs> uh, Dr. Fomano is back with us. Uh, she says, Love listening to your Monday chats while making dinner here in Germany. Well, hey, thank you for your service and let us know what you're preparing this evening. Greg, uh-huh. what were you gonna say? Uh, that's that was my question. Is <laughs> I, I hope it's Schwabish food. I'm a huge fan of Schwabish food, which is from okay. the southern part of the country in uh, what was then Bavaria. Well. Bavarians would argue still is the independent Republic of Bavaria. Okay. All right. Founded on all sides by Germany. Interesting. Yeah. Schwedish food is quite good. So. Okay. Hey, making me hungry already. So uh, Dr. Fomano, we'll see if she weighs in with what she is preparing this evening. Josh Goody is with us from Seattle. Josh says, and he's talking about yesterday's, I believe, it's a crime to see it gone. I'm with you, Josh. That was a legendary place. Yeah. Well, Not just for the food. There were some legendary good social times <laughs> there as well. No, no more. Can't say anything more there. Hey, Greg Nerf is back with us. One of hey. our, uh, let's see here. We unbanned him, unshunned him. <laughs> uh, I think we said uh, the Jerry Seinfeld of global supply chain. He asked, uh, is Greg recovered after that Super Bowl win? Greg, your response is? 
My, my response is that after watching it 26 times, I have confirmed that the Chiefs win every <laughs> Single time. Trust but verify. I like that, That's Greg. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, Greg, we gotta get to work. Now, these folks are depending on us to uh walk through a variety of key news stories and bonus today. Get some of your expertise in particular for tips on when when selecting uh technology. Uh and gosh, we're doing that it seems like every day these days, right? So let's get to work. And we're gonna start, Greg. I'm going to be sharing a few headlines across industry. Mm-hmm. So uh, first, as reported by the Wall Street Journal, inflation, well, it's still hanging around like a house guest that has really outstayed its welcome. Now, according to the producer price index, which was released by the U.S. Labor Department last week, U.S. supplier prices rose 6% in January 2023 over a year ago. The Wall Street Journal quoted Kurt Rankin, an economist at PNC, as saying the data is, quote, a setback in the battle against inflation. Today's producer price increases will translate into tomorrow's consumer price or rather consumer facing price mm-hmm. hikes, end quote. Good one there. Check out the link to the article. Drop that in the chat. Next up, uh, I want to ask folks, you may have caught Greg's supply chain summary earlier today on LinkedIn. Thousands of people have. He was talking about the semiconductor industry and U.S. efforts to regain ground, supply, and some sort of strategic leverage. Well, in this intriguing article by Steve Banker via Forbes, he talks about how, as the title might suggest, not only does the semiconductor supply chain impact everything else, but it is arguably the most vulnerable supply chain. So here's a little did you know. Y'all check out the article. It's a great read. Uh, But Banker states that industry titan, You've all heard of this name, Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, a.k.a. TSMC. That's not only the world's largest contract chip manufacturer, but get this. It is the only company that manufactures all, all of Apple's highly advanced chips for their smartphones. Check that out, and you can check out the link in the comments. And then finally, speaking of Apple, its efforts continue at trying to lessen its resilience on China. So here, Reuters reports that Apple is facing some new setbacks, especially as it attempts to ramp up production in India. One casings factory in southern India recently produced at a 50% yield. Man, meaning, of course, that only half of the components met quality standards to be sent on down the line. Now, trade leaders within the Indian government have recently stated that Apple is looking for the country to ultimately handle 25% of all production. It's going to be really hard at 50% yield, but that that will change. Currently, that figure in terms of how much of Apple's production is in uh, Indian manufacturing infrastructure is somewhere in the 5% to 7% range. Okay, Greg, pulling you back in here, a little walk, quick walk through some of the headlines that stood out to me. Your take. Well, uh, as you talk about these things, I think about the discussion uh, that Pat Gelsinger had while he was in Davos about over the next five decades, supply chain uh, technology supply chains will be more impactful and more impacted by geopolitics than oil, uh, oil reserves and oil uh, production are today. And I have no doubt that that is definitely the case. I would amend that to say that supply chains um, will become the critical factor in the future, the, defining the future of humanity because of environmental concerns 
and geopolitical disruption. So regardless of whether it's technology or it's food, which is also has its own challenges now, all things supply chain will lend strongly to the future. And we've seen that they can become weaponized over the course of the last several years. So I, that's what I think about when I hear about uh, some of these things that were you've mentioned here, Scott. Yep. Now, um, in the, in your summer today, we're going to talk about a different supply chain summer you did last week here in a few minutes. But man, folks have been eating that up. You've really um, you've hit a nerve with what you were talking about today, right? I, I think so. Uh, look, um, you know, essentially, this was part that was part of the discussion was around supply chains generally, and um, I think it's good that Pat. Gelsinger at Intel, the CEO at Intel, if I didn't mention where he's from, but um, identified semiconductors as a future point of, of geopolitical interest. He says the point, I think not, but it is one of the points and probably one of the driving factors and certainly one of the critical part, portions of society. And I think a lot of people are really interested in understanding that. Um, they probably also should understand that a lot of petroleum products go into the construction of semiconductors and the products made therefrom. So uh, I think that's why I, when I think about these things, I think about the labor supply chain and the educational supply chain, because those are going to be great hurdles for the U S because building of semiconductors, for instance, takes a lot of PhD and engineering talent and two thirds of all engineering talent in the U.S. is foreign born. And because of the policies of the U.S. government, it's very difficult for them to remain and work in the U.S. So there are going to have to be some other things changed in order to to uh, enable that that particular supply chain. And you can just see how it continues to broaden out. Yes. More folks should know what you just shared there. I think also water consumption for making chips. Lordy. That's where when right. I when I the, the big Arizona investments that right, we've talked about here. Yeah, that's the first thing that came to my mind is the impact. Where does that water come from? Right. Yeah. I can't imagine it. And that's where TSMC is making yeah, TSMC is making their investments. That's where they are buying and building additional plants. And and um that, that article that I com- that I got the commentary from, that article is about a company, um Tech Texas Instruments, emit or adding on to a micron plant in in Utah where there is also very restricted water. So I am at a complete loss where you could, you could um, find enough water to, um, you know, to manage 300,000 households, basically a city the size of Austin, Texas. Right. 10 million gallons every single day is what that point requires. And, you know, maybe, maybe there would be optimism you could get it today, but gosh, in 10 years, when many of these plants will finally be up and running, I mean, the concerns then will be even further off the chart. So we're going to keep our finger on the pulse of that. I, I really enjoy, I love your summaries as do the rest of, of uh, social media. So folks, um, if a man and Catherine, if y'all can grab his Greg summer today that we we're talking about and just put the direct LinkedIn link in the chat, we'd love for folks to read it and comment. Uh, that's the best part beyond Greg's always witty and humorous uh, and, and in the know commentary, seeing all the reaction. Okay. Or if not any of those things, at least by you. Um, <laughs> right. Amanda is a uh, Dr. Fermano, I should say steaks. She, she's preparing she, as she listens to us steaks from a local, local yeah. butcher and traditional German speech. How you say that? Spitzla. Spitzla. 
Okay. So that is Schwäbisch. That's a Schwäbisch dish, Spätzle. It's uh, like rotini. It's like potato rotini in a lot of cases. That's usually the kind of shape it takes. Um, okay. Almost like pasta, and it is unbelievably delicious. With <laughs> buttery cream sauce. Oh, man. Man. So, Tucker, if you're listening today, I'm sure we can maybe find a version of that in the CSRA, also known as the Central Savannah River area. That's a thing. But uh, I don't know, maybe not nearly as good as uh, what Dr. Fomano is preparing. Um, okay, so Greg, we uh, want to, speaking of the summaries, uh, let's see, I'm going to pull up this graphic here because, as I mentioned on the front end, you published yeah. uh, something last week, uh, a, a summary last week that focused on this supply chain dive article, which focuses on manufacturers tackling supply chain costs. And you delivered again, in a way that really resonated with folks. So kind of summarize what you were talking about last week. Yeah, I think um, the article itself was talking a lot about forecasting, but while forecasting is a big challenge, it's not the core challenge. In in supply chain, 100% of the problem is labor. Um, that's what caused the initial shortages was the uh, lack of availability of labor because of shutdowns and things like that. And the slow return of labor to the to the workforce uh, for whatever reason, in the U.S., it was because of concerns about health. It was about um, massive subsidies keeping people home and without the need to work. Um, and then it was about this generational shift as baby boomers left the uh, the workforce in droves and their younger progeny, uh, Gen X, Y, and Z, said, we don't want those dirty, dark, dangerous, and dull jobs. So uh, that that's a big part of it, but there are a ton of environmental factors and, um, our race to do, you know, to try to save the environment has in some cases inadvertently, I think endangered the environment in other ways. And I, and what I challenge people to do in this article is to think through that. And in previous articles as well is to think through that and not shift one environmentally destructive methodology, oil and, and, um, you know, and fossil fuel emissions for another scraping the face off the planet to get to semiconductors and batteries for EVs and that sort of thing. I just want us to think ahead this time, right? We have the benefit of knowledge and, and we need to think about alternatives. And I have long been an advocate for any alternative besides lithium cobalt based batteries. There are other technologies and we should be spending lots of money trying to um trying to to root out how to make those feasible well said y'all check that out we include a link to that summary uh here in the comments you can check it out leave us your take on um yeah we even got trolled on that one <laughs> really or well, somebody looking for a fight over evs and batteries and that sort of thing so it's it's a really interesting um you know, as trolls typically are less than intellectual, <laughs> mostly just mostly just political positioning or whatever they want to call it. Uh, but it was a fun conversation. So and it, it was it's all, there, it's all there in the commentary. That's right. Uh, so y'all check that out. A uh, couple comments here. Uh, and, and folks, we also placed the links to each of the news stories I shared on the front end here, like the one where Apple's facing some of the production obstacles. Y'all check that out and give us your take. All right. So Josh is commenting. You know, as we go back to uh, Utah and Arizona and some of those big chip investments, he says, can't think of a single place in Utah that has a water flow for it. Maybe down near uh, the confluence of Green River near Moab. 
Maybe. This is Lehigh, and I don't know, Josh, where Lehigh is, but there's a Micron plant there that uh, Texas Instruments bought, I think, two or three years ago. Mm. Um, and then Greg, speaking of Apple, says, we're still waiting, he says, for Foxconn to figure out what's going on with their plant in Wisconsin. Mm. This article that I commented on was fairly short, but as many do, it prompted a lot of thoughts. But in some of the background research that I did, uh, there was an article that talked about, I didn't, they didn't mention Fox, Foxconn specifically, but they did mention Wisconsin plants yep. as well. All right. So a couple of quick programming notes, and then we're going to get into this educational segment here today. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, especially as how relevant technology selection, you know, whether it's big platforms, small apps, doesn't matter. We're doing it every day. Um, all right. So, Greg, we have got an outstanding session coming up uh, in about a month or so. March 21st, we've got a webinar on five tips for creating effective digital content. Now, this is a live webinar. We're doing that program, that, that recorded stuff. This is, hey, we want to hear you. And we're going to be sharing some some of uh, the things that we have learned and have, have applied to our journey. And, man, Ursula Ringham with SAP and Brandy Boatner from IBM, two true rock and roll stars when it comes to creating content that resonates. Yeah, and you may have heard, heard of those companies. You know, <laughs> that's right. Not as um, now. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but folks, we want you to join us. Bring your feedback. Bring your questions. You name it. Uh, bring a turkey sandwich if you'd like. Uh, we're going to drop yeah, a link to register in the chat, and that's uh, teed up for March 21st, uh, 12 noon Eastern time with our dear friends Ursula and Brandy. And then, Greg, well, I'll tell you what. Before I move forward, any any other big, you know, why do you think this matters, Greg? Why is this important, you think? Uh, well, well, I can tell you as a pre, you know technology provider myself before, Getting the word out and, and getting leads into your funnel or or getting your knowledge shared. Webinar is and has been for a long, long time the most common way of doing it. We get tons and tons of questions. You know, we do it on behalf of, 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 of some companies, but many, many people come to us going, hey, how how do we make a webinar effective? And, you know, these two companies have been doing it literally for decades, maybe more than two decades, Scott. And so... <laughs> So we just thought we'd put some of that knowledge out there, share that with the community and let them learn from it. You know, if they decide they want to do their own their own um, kind of digital content production, I think you can always learn. Uh, I agree. I agree. And, you know, uh, Greg, just to pile on a little bit, uh, we had a wonderful conversation with Jason Hoke um, and Sean. I can't remember Sean's last name. They've done big things. I mean, you know, like number ones in Apple Podcasts and their rankings. And and there's something about getting folks together, like this webinar is going to really be, where we have a very common kindred spirit in, in creating meaningful and genuine and helpful content, mm -hmm. right? It, it it goes, it's like breaking bread with, with family members, uh, right? As we kind of walk through that and share, you know, what we've learned, what we, what we learned to do, what we've learned not to do, and right. a lot more. So, <laughs> folks. Come join us. We'd welcome you at our uh, our lunch table uh, again, March twenty first at twelve noon Eastern time. Um, all right, one other quick programming note, Greg. Uh, talk about purposeful. Uh, we've got you know we've been supporting very proudly, been supporting the leveraging logistics for Ukraine and this ship going on it's about a year now. Um, over six hundred seventy thousand pounds of aid, humanitarian aid, have made it to folks in need 
in Ukraine and Poland and the region. And unfortunately, the need will continue uh, for months and months on end. Well, hey, good good news here is folks like Vector Global Logistics, Enrique and Christy and Maureen, they're doing something about it. Uh, the next planning session for this very noble, big noble mission initiative is Tuesday, March 7th at 11 a.m. Eastern time. We'd love for y'all to join us. Just sit in on it. If you don't, you don't have to talk. You don't have to contribute. You can sit in and connect the dots and see what's going on. Greg, your thoughts about this mission? Well, I mean, we've all contributed time, effort, or or uh, whatever you want to call it, capital to, to this initiative and um, seeing the kind of results that it's getting. Obviously, that is not something that is going to end soon um, and has gone on for, I think, way longer than any of us thought it could and continues to evolve or devolve, whatever, and likely will not be done until Putin can get his little um, pipeline under his command. So mm. um, this will continue to cause tragedy throughout the region. It has put strain, not obviously on Ukraine, but not only Ukraine, but the c- countries that are supporting that. Now there are some concerns that Moldova may a tiny um, and completely neutral <laughs> country may be at some risk because they have some strategic importance to whatever Putin is trying to accomplish. So, um, you know, keep your eye on this. It's important. This is a grassroots initiative, not a 501c3, but I can vouch for the fact that your initiative, your efforts, your givings will go where they are intended 100%. No one is taking a single dime of salary uh, or any other compensation. For this. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that, Greg. So that's a powerful vouching statement there, and it's absolutely true. Um, and it's been our honor to support and contribute and um, you know, their, their breath, breath of fresh air over there at Vector. Um, okay, folks, we'll drop a link to that. Um, join us on some, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, on a much lighter note, Greg, this just hit me a minute ago. It hit me in a pre-show, and I meant to uh, create a little graphic for it, but uh, I want to. Sh- I got to share this before we get into our educational session. I saw, Amanda and I saw a wonderful, uh, do you like music documentaries? You know, where it kind of tells a backstory, you know, bands, singers. Where are they now kind of stuff? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, I love that. Well, HBO Max has got this newer documentary focused on Dionne Warwick. And, you know, as a child of the 80s, I really, I knew her for like, um, that's what friends are for, right? Smash Mm -hmm. single dedicated to... um, the, the the AIDS victims, right, and and relief for them, still still raising money for for all those folks. Um, but man, this documentary walks through her entire trailblazing and ground shattering career, and it's really good. And of course, but, but one of the best things about these musical documentaries is all the all the tunes they pack in it, right? Mm-hmm. Old, new, the whole journey. So, uh, folks, check it out. A- HBO Max. I think Amanda's going to save me here and, and drop a direct link. Y'all check it out. Yeah, it like music tunes, Greg, uh, Dionne Warwick. Was she, uh, did you have CDs of Dionne Warwick back in the day? Uh, well, Scott, probably, <laughs> probably before CDs. So my parents were huge. Uh, they were big time hippies. We, uh, also lived in Detroit for a portion of my childhood and huge Motown fans. My kids are huge. Motown fans. And of course, Dion came out of that era. Um, so yeah, of course. I mean, I don't know how you could have been a kid in the late seventies or eighties and 
not known who Dion Warwick was, right? It should be illegal. If so, it should be illegal. Right? Well, it is definitely, it is definitely uh, to your detriment if you don't. So go right. back and listen. Yeah, that's great. I did not know that that was happening. So got to check it out. Got to check it out. Um, all right. So Greg, we're getting in and folks, we want to hear from you. We want this to be, you know, we're going to, um, as, uh, as Greg has shared and lived, he's been through thousands of these technology selection implementation processes. Uh, so we're going to get some of his perspective and expertise, but we want to hear from you as well. Let us know what you're learning and uh, have learned to do and what not to do when it comes to technology selection. Because as we said, business leaders, they're doing it. We're all doing it all, all the time, right? From big ERP platforms, you know, those selection processes that might take, you know, months <laughs> to, you know, all sorts of applications, middleware, you name it, that might be quicker, uh, more expedited. But regardless, there's some best practices here. So Greg, core question here, what are yep. three things that business leaders got to keep in mind when it comes to the selection process for new technology? Uh, that's a great question. And I want to reiterate a specific part of that question, which is the selection process for new technology, not the entirety of determining the success of your of your technology implementation. But these are three things that you have to consider as you are selecting the process. And to me, number one is forget about, completely forget about um, a, a mandate around what the solution must do, right? Um, Instead, you want to identify the goal, the underlying challenges, the day-to-day -day problems, the financial impacts, and the other impacts to your business. And present the problem uh, and, then, and then find and expect practical, well-founded, creative solutions and, and, and accept only goal-driven solutions, not tactically or operationally driven solutions that are supported, enhanced, or even conducted, even uh, taken over or run in the future by technology. Because what a lot of companies do is they come out with this 46-page questionnaire <laughs> as if they know how to fix their own problem, which if they did, they could have done. And I think right. that in thousands and thousands of implementations, some enormous, some small, um, some a week long, some years long, um, I've experienced universally that if the if a company knew how to solve their problem, they would. Mm. Um, and and in, and so you see um, you see these big specification documents that say, hey, this is what we, this is what we're looking for. Can your product do this? Can your team do this? Can it do that? And instead, I think, you know, Scott, I'm a big begin with the end in mind type person. And I think it's really, really important to think about what you're trying to accomplish and the challenges that you face or the hurdles that you must overcome today to, to that keep you from getting there. So I think it's important to tackle, uh, tackle your selection from that perspective. So if I can, so that yeah, first sure. one, first of the three, and folks want to hear from you as well. Uh, the first one I think is the a billion dollar idea, you know, because to your point, Greg, I think one of the points you're making there is folks may be setting off on the wrong foot to solve pain. 
They may be uh, setting off on the wrong foot because they think they know what they need to do, but it right. that's wasted time. That's a, that, is, that is a bad start, and and that's a bad answer to the why is what part of what I'm hearing you say there. Is that right, Greg? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you know, throw away the RFP, right? In for anyone who they're called RFIs, RFPs, request for proposal, request for information, whatever. Throw those away, yeah. and instead enunciate the problem that you have, the goal that you're trying to seek, and that will that will change the entirety of of the process, and it will greatly simplify it, especially when you when you do the next couple uh, things that I'm I'm going to advocate. <laughs> Number two, yes. being first, okay, be willing to change your ways. You are likely in this situation in whatever is challenging or uh, subverting your business goals because of yourself, right? And recognize that process change may be necessary. Hell, hell it's likely, right? Um, for, for any technology implementation to be successful, you're going to have to change the process because it's not just the technology. Technology is just a bigger hammer. Mm. Um, and a bigger hammer will still drive the nail in the wrong place if your process is 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 incorrect, right? So acknowledge that uh, it's it's likely internal, it's process, it's business design driven. It could be even be uh, job design driven, um, but recognize that and and also enunciate that to your service provider. You know these are the challenges we have with these processes. Uh, the results therefrom, et cetera, et cetera. Expect to have some sort of business analysis conducted um, in order in order to help you find the right technology, but also in in order to enable that technology. Yep. So to, to, to these two points, I want to go back and combine them for this purpose, and that is that anyone who you seek to purchase technology from should know your industry, know your business at least at a high cursory level or at least at an industry level and know what businesses in your industry are typically trying to accomplish. And when they know that, and if they have real live business experience, then they will be much, much more valuable partner to you. Okay, man. Uh, I'm, we're going to owe you a, a consulting invoice uh, before we in, finish up yes, this hour. Are, Scott, I'm preparing it right now. <laughs> well, hey, before, uh, so Greg, I'm going to pose this to you, yeah. right? Would you rather knock out number three, and then we'll go through some of the uh, ideas that folks have, uh, or would you rather me share a couple of what? Yeah, let, no, let's let's talk. To, let's hear what the crowd has to say. All right. So Shelley was agreeing on your first point. Well, definitely um, want to hear that. I'm glad we inter interrupted <laughs> it for that. Thanks, Shelley. <laughs> so, but seen it time and time again. I think, and I think that uh, yeah. she she submitted this when you were talking about how folks and companies think they know what their problem is, right? Well, often they know the problem. Yeah. The problem is thinking you know what the solution is. Ah. Right? Because you're so often too ingrained in your own processes and and people structures and politics to to be able to um, to get get that sort of blessing of naivete that you can get from an outside party. Excellent point. Blessing of Navaya. What'd you say? Blessing of Navaya. Thank right? you very much. Yeah, say that three times fast. I need another pot of coffee, I think. Uh, all right. Jonathan says, customizing too much. And it uh, compacts 
the issues involved. Your thoughts on on over customization, Greg? Yeah, well, that's uh, that's going to go to right to my third point, which we okay. don't need to do yet. But th- I okay. think that's an excellent point. Is that that customization also com- comes from mandating the solution, right? Point one or point two often cause that problem of, yep. of um, too much customization because companies are and even monumental failures of largely ERP type solutions. And some are world famous, right? Hundreds of millions or billions of dollars wasted in complete failure that nearly bankrupts companies um, is largely the fault, not of the implementer or of the technology company, but of the client who continues to try to force fit a new technology into total crap processes. (laughs) <laughs> That's a technical word. Total <laughs> crap processes, TCP. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's see a couple of other quick comments here. Shelly talks about how, side note, thousands of companies were down for 24 hours last week as NetSuite Boston servers were down. How about that? Yeah. Um, Gene Gino says, it's really a difficult job to define when technology is outpacing your ability to mm. implement a good point goes to point number two also, which is adoption is the key to success. Mm. And not only is this a great opportunity to uh, assess your processes, but also to assess your people and to upskill or uplift both. Right. Um, because you're right. Sometimes it is. And that is one of the biggest problems. That is the number one objection that I have ever heard in thousands of technology implementations and sales processes, frankly, is I don't think my people are ready for this. I don't think my people are strong enough for this. And the chances are largely because of the fact that we're looking past needing to change their processes or their drug drug job structures, probably drug structures as well, <laughs> job structures, <laughs> Um, and the politics within the organization, they may not be ready for it. On the other hand, you'll be surprised at how many of them have just simply wanted to do their job better and have been held back from being able to do that and would gladly embrace making their job better. Part of that adoption process, the key to adoption and the key to enabling your people to adopt change is to solve urgent problems, fiscally compelling problems that impact human beings every single day, Mm. right? They just want to do a better job and they want to be able to leave it at the office when they go back home. And, and if you think about it from that perspective, I know that sounds incredibly simple, but it, and it is, but if you think about it from that perspective, the easiest way to get adoption is to solve a problem that your people give a about. So that's, that's, a huge part of what Gene's talking about. Man, absolutely. Good stuff there, Greg. Um, very inspiring. You got me ready to run through the wall back behind me. Uh, Mark Preston talks about the importance of building that charter with deliverables versus just the the RFQ. Yeah. Excellent point there. And by the way, folks, if you want to find out what rattlesnake hunts, what the heck that has to do with driving improvement in manufacturing and sales environments, go ask Mark. Good stuff there. Finally, mm. <laughs> Finally, Shelly says employee buy-in to the point you're making, Greg. Yep. Employee buy-in is crucial. You've got to help them see the bright side because it's yeah, completely agree. Because that adoption that you and Greg both are talking about 
is paramount. Without it, what do you have, Greg? Without adoption, <laughs> you've got uh, a lot of wasted resources. Wasted. Yeah, I mean, you, Go ahead. you've got a big hunk of metal, or in this case, virtual metal, just sitting there wasting desktop space, right? I That's mean, right. it's, um, you know, solutions are conceived in the boardroom, but they are delivered on the desktop. Ooh, that's a t-shirtism. And, and, and as an addition, you know, the, and now we'll get to your third point. And I want to make one, la- one quick point and one hit your number three is, you know, team members, associates, your employees, they're all digesting change so much. Uh, I would argue faster than at least than, than I've seen in industry. Um, and so there's limited, you've, you've got limited tolerance there for more change. And man, if that change doesn't deliver and make their jobs easier and make them to your point, Greg, put them in position to deliver better because that's what the overwhelming majority of folks want to do, then you're going to burn, you've got that burnout factor. And then they're not going to trust the next big project uh, that you're going to try to do with the team. So that's a very real threat. Um, All right. So Greg, this is, man, this is, I wish uh, I should have brought my diet Coke and a bag of popcorn. You're (laughs) You got us. You got us all fire uh, uh, hitting on all neurons. So, Greg, what's your number three? Again, we're talking about um, key considerations business leaders gotta gotta have in mind when it comes to selecting yeah. new technology. Number three is less ethereal, less philosophical, less uh, inspirational. It's more tactical, and it is make them prove it. I am a firm believer that you should only ever believe that any tech can or ever will. Do what the company selling it to you promises if they can display it right now, not later, not after two and a half weeks of configuration, not after a month, not in the next version, not in the spring. And this is an old joke in the software technology trade, which is we said that was coming in the spring. We didn't say what year. So (laughs) (laughs) so only believe that the technology can, I want to repeat this, can and ever will, ever at any time in the future, be able to do what it does right now. When you ask for the problem to be solved, see it, see it solved, confirm that it is the way that will work for your organization or start the dialogue on how can we adapt this to assure that it solves the problem to meet our goals. Remember, we're focused on goals, number one. Um, So because... Too many times people have been sold, is it up the river river or down the river? Whatever, they've been sold, and the product never quite gets to where they they need it to. And, a, you know, a subtext of that is bigger is not necessarily better. We've already talked about, and I think it was Shelly who talked about some of the massive failures in ERP. It's not just ERP. Yep. I mean, you know, supply chain technologies have endured incredible lawsuits. Companies have literally nearly been driven out of business. And we're not talking about small companies. We're talking about companies like Nestle um, with uh, magnificent failures in terms of technology uh, implementations and others who have struggled so much. But there are two things I want to, I feel absolutely compelled to impart. ERP, unless the solution, the, the goal is global finance simplification and and homogenization, ERP is almost never the solution. That's what ERP does. That's what it's built for. They have acquired or built all kinds of modules to do all kinds of other things, but they're 
literally thousands of other specialist solutions that bolt right into these ERP solutions and and can do the job far better for far less and far faster. So um, so when I say bigger is better, I'm saying those big ERP companies are not always your answer. And I just told you when I think they are. So um, and you'll often in in presenting alternative solutions to these big get the uh, in, in the boardroom. Why not this ERP or that ERP? Because that's, you know, that's the question that that board members, we board members are taught um, when you meet your pals at the bar or country club or whatever, who are executives at these big companies. And that's part of the strategy. The other part of the strategy is these enormous implementations. So the technology doesn't cost nearly as much, in some cases, as little as one four hundredth of the total of the entire project. And the reason that companies continue to be pitched these technologies is because the big three or four or however many big technology or a big uh, uh, consulting firms exist, they make hundreds of millions of dollars, in many cases, billions of dollars a year implementing these technologies. Why? Because they don't do jack out of the box, (laughs) not jack in the box. Um, They don't do jack out of the box, which means tons and tons of revenue and tons of kids from Chicago campuses crawling all over your company, learning how to do business. You're basically paying $300 an hour for these kids to learn how to understand your business or business in general and, and define the solutions for you. So I think that is an old and outdated model. I think we need to think more about appifying technology, understanding with that expertise that I alluded to before. With that expertise, you can often create a technology that that overarchingly covers an industry or a business problem. And then with switches and dials, right, instead of customization, um, to Jonathan's point, um, with switches and dials allows you to adapt or configure rather than customize the technology to solve your problem. Love it. All right. And so does Jonathan. He mentioned this when you said the uh, boardroom and desktop. I can't remember that quote. Uh, what what yeah. would you say? You said something about solutions are conceived in the boardroom, but they're delivered on the desktop. Yes. Quote of the day. I agree with you, Jonathan. I'm we're gonna all have that on the back of a t-shirt very soon. Gino talks about upper management buy-in is also critical, correct? So let's talk about that because I think that's critical. The throwing away, I didn't get to that point, so thank you for bringing that up, Gene. The throwing away the RFP and having the having the goal be to meet a goal will inherently interest the executives that have to push, have to sponsor, and have to champion this transition of the company, because it is. It's more than just a technology implementation. It's a transition of the company's business. And when you have a strategic level um, goal, then it's easier. It's 100% necessary, and they enjoy getting engaged. If it's a feature function assessment, they may never see the bigger picture. But when you start with the bigger picture, then you can always get management to get involved and to drive the process, uh, to champion the process for improvement. All right, man. Goodness gracious. Uh, We got more than we bargained for today. But yet, look, this is, the you know, when we're thinking about kind of, okay, what do we want to share today? Uh, when it comes to technology and and what is really practical, 
I would argue that the last 20 minutes, if that's not actionable, uh, been there, done that. Good Lord, was that 20 minutes? Was that my, uh, okay, my, my timer. My timer's not working. It could have been. Uh, <laughs> maybe 14 minutes. I don't know. Uh, let's see here. Islam says, uh, indeed, ERP is only a tool, and firms just need to choose which tool will fit to your business model. Good stuff there. Uh, uh, Mark says, people are not afraid of change. I've heard Mark say this before. People are not afraid of change. They're afraid of uncertainty. That's right. Maybe what with what that change will bring, Greg, huh? Yeah, unquestionably. That's our lizard brain. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Mark's, uh, Shelly says she agrees with Mark, and no one needs more uncertainty here these days. Excellent point, Shelly. I agree with you. Okay, Greg, good. Uh, about 1252 here. We've got a couple more minutes. What do you think? I mean, I'd love to kind of get your take on, on all of that. Look, um, I, I really, I pre, you know, right when we thought we'd, we'd tackled this topic on the buzz, it's like, we've got the perfect resource in Greg White been there and done that. But one of the points you mentioned about how we, we need to appify technology, I would argue that maybe, you know, if, if we were to put, ERP decisions aside, right? Because those are those are the bigger, more rigorous, lumbering selection. You know, let's put all that aside. I think there's two quick points. I think I think of the smaller technology decisions that folks are making without because it, there's a forty nine dollars a month subscription fee or whatever. It's so easy to do it, and the mm-hmm. cost is so low. But I think what business leaders aren't thinking about, and hey, I'm guilty as charged from time to time. Because we view it as a um, a small investment, we are not thinking about the impact, positive or negative, that will have on the team, and and that's where the going back to adoption. It doesn't matter if it's ERP or, or an app or middleware or it whatever, but the adoption of the team, so that it's not just one more thing to download on their on their you know laptops or phones or what have you, it's so critical. We do our homework regardless of how big the investment is. And I think secondly, and Greg, this is something you and I chat about all the time, because as much as we get approached, Greg, about with with what we'll call glorious feedback from our listener, listening family, which I tell you, that's one of the best parts about this journey is hearing from you all like like Tucker. Um, But we also get solicited all the time, Greg. And you've really taught um, me and many others that, hey, when those sales folks and hey, we've all been there. Got to love on the sales folks, but the best you're going to get is when they want to make the sale. So if they're not responsive to your questions or your needs or, you know, getting references or whatever, and you buy from them, <laughs> that's, that's as good that's as it's going to be. Right. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to ignore similar needs after you make the purchase because their incentive is gone. Is that right, Greg? Right. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we have to think about in all of these evaluation processes is is incentive, right? The world is driven. It's not pleasant and, and it's not nefarious either, but the world is driven by incentive. Warren Buffett said something to that effect or Charlie Munger said something to that effect that the world is not driven by insight. It's driven mm-hmm. by incentive, something to that effect. And nothing could be truer. And if we're all honest with ourselves, that is the truth for us, too right? What's in it for me? That's the question that everyone does and frankly should ask. Look, that's how we were pro- we were programmed as cave dwellers. If I Should I go outside and confront that dinosaur? What's in it for me <laughs> if I do that? Right? And 
And if you think about it, to uh, to Shelley's point, uncertainty is what mm. people fear. Was it was it Shelley? Uh, well, uh, yeah. it was Mark John, started it. Mark yeah. Preston, yeah. But anyway, that uncertainty is what people uh, fear, right? Because nobody we we have been programmed since our genesis of uh, in in a way to keep ourselves out of danger. We are inherently lazy. Why? Because we had to preserve so much energy because we were undernourished when we were, when we were created or whatever, um, <laughs> you know, in, in, in our old form. Um, and we are inherently afraid of uncertainty. Why? Because uncertainty almost certainly meant death. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, if you think about the thousands, hundreds of thousands, whatever it is, years of evolution, if anything has been programmed into us, it is. Don't waste energy, right? Your own energy will waste everybody else. <laughs> Don't waste your own energy and avoid death. Yes. <laughs> Simple as that. True. Right? And uncertainty equals death when you get far enough back into our subconscious. Yes, that's in our bones, in our DNA. Now, Greg, you took it really back old school to the to the caves and dinosaurs, but hey, it's so true. Um, all right, I'm going to take one last comment here. We're going to wrap up. Uh, Mark, you are a fount of you and Shelly and all y'all are founts of knowledge today. Mark Grant makes a great point. Training and sustainment processes, they're critical with more and more software that you have to learn and with more and more people leaving companies that and taking that tribal knowledge with them. It's mm -hmm. a big risk to businesses. Great point there, Mark. It's been a huge, that has been a huge problem as baby boomers leave the, the workforce, which they did is in record numbers. Um, in 2021, because so much of what they did was not written down. Yep. Not only do people not want to do it, even if they wanted to do it, they wouldn't know how because so much of it has not been. Um, what do I want to say? Memorialized. Yes, that's a great word. Yeah. That's a great word. Uh, you used a you used a word this morning in your summary that I need. I had to look it up in the dictionary. I'll, I'll think of that in a second. But I want to share Corey's comment. Yes. Let me circle back. So Corey says, great point on being driven by incentive. A lot of incentive in the current tech sales process is targeted at the CFOs or the finance team as opposed to really solving the underlying problem. Greg, agree? Unquestionably. Yeah, unquestionably. And, and you know, a lot of times the incentive for reps uh, is counterproductive to what you hope to accomplish at a company. You have to be very, very Scott. We have, I mean, we have, I think we've done a great job of that with our, our sales team. Mm. I don't think it's shame to say that we have a sales team, right? Yeah. We love to play the diesel, <laughs> right? right? I mean, um, and we're growing by the way, if you're looking for a great sales gig. Um, um, but uh, you know, that incentive is critical because we have certain things we want to accomplish for our, our customer base. And that is to, that is to enhance their message, to expand their reach, right, and to increase their credibility. And we want to make sure that how, that how we do that starts with how we engage with people from the very beginning. Yep. And you, you do. You have to be very, very careful. <laughs> That's my boy right there. That is right. Clay doing uh, – Clay and Amanda and Catherine – uh, and, and at Chantel, all the folks out there making it happen, uh, really appreciate what y'all do. And Clay, <laughs> I like this and, you know, uh, over the weekend, um, man, we're just going to take it. Uh, we're going to be very transparent here. I loved his email response 
uh, to us, Greg, because he he had heard that phrase uh, from a legendary figure. I got a kick out of that clip. Um, <laughs> all right, so Greg, uh, we're gonna be we're right at right, right on time. I really appreciate yeah. uh, all of what you shared. Hey, folks, in the comments. Yeah, that was super helpful. Yes. We need to publish a book after today's uh, hour-long conversation, but really have enjoyed y'all's submissions. I know we couldn't hit everybody's, but uh, yeah, y'all can find Supply Chain Buzz every Monday at 12 noon Eastern time. And as Greg and I shared on the front end, beyond news and headlines and analysis, hey, we're we're trying to make it more productive and educational and informative uh, with market intel or practitioner expertise, you name it. We're going to be baking a lot more of that into these sessions. And hey, Thank you there, Leah Luton. It's good to see hey, you this mom. weekend. <laughs> that's, that's right, Mom. Love you, too. Uh, she says, kudos to your behind-the-scenes team. Hey, they, they're they the ones that make it happen, right? They're, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, uh, undoubtedly. Okay, Greg, uh, as we wrap off, right before I sign off here today, we've covered a lot of ground. Uh, from the news to, um, to your manufacturing, trying to tackle supply chain costs, uh, to uh, chips, which is going to be front and center for – quite some time to your summaries to again, the, the second half show is really focused on, you know, how to some best practices of how to make better selection decisions when it comes to all the technology platforms that we bring into our organizations. If you had to boil it down to one thing that folks have to take away from today's conversation that you can forget everything else, mm. but there's one thing that folks got to keep front and center. What would that be? Begin with the end in mind. I probably have said that before, but that that has to be it to how you design your supply chain, to how you select the technology, to how you take take in and process this news, to how you use the um, the data from the freight payment index, to how you interact with us, to how you interact with everyone that you interact with all day. Begin with the end in mind. I think the great Stephen Covey, whether you've read The Seven Habits or not, starts with a imagine you're at your own funeral. What would you want people to say about you in their eulogies at your funeral? That's the end that you should start with. Outstanding. What a way to wrap. Uh, Greg, home run stuff today. Really appreciate uh, what you brought to the table as always. A pleasure to knock out these shows with you. Yeah, well, likewise. Thanks. I mean, this is a blast. I'm glad we're doing this. I hope I'd love to hear. I I hope people like this, this teachable moments segment. Yeah, Greg, that's a great, great comment. Let's wrap with that. Folks, let us know what you think about today, especially the second half of the show and kind of how we're uh, wanting to bake more, whether we call it the teachable, teachable moments, as Greg just coined, or basically been there, done that practitioner expertise on a wide variety of topics. That's what we're looking to do in the bigger sense. So let us know what you think. But but whatever you do, mm-hmm. making not making a decision is Unfortunately, making a decision is all about taking the action, taking the action, leading, not not, no lip service leadership, deeds, not words. With that said, Greg, big Mm -hmm. thanks, everyone that that came out here today. Thanks for all the great comments. Big thanks to the whole team that makes this happen. Scott Luton challenging all of our listeners everywhere, including the one and only Tucker in Johnson, South Carolina. Do good. Give forward. Be the change. And we'll see you next time right back here at Supply Chain Now. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being a part of our Supply Chain Now community. 
Check out all of our programming at supplychainnow.com and make sure you subscribe to Supply Chain Now anywhere you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. See you next time on Supply Chain Now. Supply Chain Now.